Blog Talk Radio. Hey there, Dr. Ross Green here, coming to you live, as always, from the offices of Lives in the Balance here in Portland, Maine. It's time for another edition of Helping Behaviorally Challenging Students. Most of our principals are not going to be able to make the call today, but we shall soon be hearing from Carol Davison in uh, Surrey, British Columbia. So we will have one of our principals on board today. Um, the guest call-in number is 646-727-2691 if you would like to um, call in. Uh, once again, 646-727-2691. And uh, Carol has indeed joined us. Carol, how are you today? I am very well. Thanks for asking, Ross. How are you? I am very well as well. Um, how's things going in your building this year? It's April. These guys must be running on fumes. Well, it's a pretty busy time of year because even though we've just hit the spring mark on the calendar, we are already deep into planning for September. So it's a very exciting time, but it's also sometimes hard to focus on certain things because you feel like you are in two worlds the rest of this year and going into next year already. Indeed. And will you be the principal in your building next year? I don't know. Um, we have those announcements are made within the next two weeks, so it's kind of holding one's breath at this time, which also adds to the joy. <laughs> Very interesting system. Mm-hmm. Very interesting system. Um, well, and and so. Um, this is what which year is this for you in this building? Four. Four years in this building. Well, it's almost time for you to get yeah. shipped out the way things work. Um is CPS like little... running um smoothly these days in a building that you've been in for four years? Mm, that's a very interesting question. I'd love to be um I'd love to say of course it is, but there's always challenges. So um, this year, I think we've had some, uh, well, with every year, there's always changes in staffing, and so sometimes key people who are are in with the program or people who are less in with the program come and go. I'd say that I definitely have more staff interested in the, in the model this year. Um, in terms of implementation, it's been, I think we've been focusing on a few students this year um, where the teacher is familiar with it. Um, and they're willing to, to work with the student. We've been still continuing to use it as our discussion model at school-based team, but I haven't had as many new students brought up, and the ones that I have, um, yeah, I think it's been fairly fairly effective. It's still, to be perfectly honest, it's still kind of a, a one-horse show where I'm the driver of the, of the model. And talking about next year, if I'm not here, I don't know if independently it would continue. I think individual teachers would still want to use it, but I don't know if it would be systemic in terms of using it at our school-based teams and kind of having it be the default for working with those kids with the challenging behavior. Got it. 
there's the honesty moment for today. There you have it, of course. Shall we jump into some emails? Sounds great. Here we go. And uh, you've got the floor today because, um, you know, the, uh, <laughs> Susan's not with us and uh, Nina's not see. with us. And, uh, you know, we won't have Tom to kick around today either. So here we go. <laughs> this one says, I'm a teacher at a very small charter school that has many majority students with a range of special needs, physical, social, emotional, behavioral. Our leadership team practices, teaches us variations of your methods, and the teachers all understand why they can work which is why such a high percentage of our kids come to our school, but we just can't seem to find the time required to spend with each child who clearly needs this additional support. We have a very small staff and limited budget for additional staff. Can you please share how other teachers have been able to implement and commit to the time needed to be successful with their students when there are so many students per class in need? Thanks so much for everything you are doing. Let's take you first. Let's have you take first a crack at that because truth is, um, <laughs> time is the major issue that people um, worry about when they are yeah. implementing yeah. this model. What do you think about that one? Well, it seems like every week, every month, we do the the program. There's always a question about time. My my thought when I heard kind of the description of the context, and again, we always kind of speak out of just that very superficial understanding of the context, but being such a small charter school, and again, I'm not 100% um, familiar with the format, but I know my daughter went to a a charter school when we were in California, um, is that there may be additional freedom when it comes to curriculum. Um, One of my foundational beliefs, and I think one of the foundational beliefs of the model, is that without addressing these lagging skills, students aren't going to be able to fully address the academic Um, expectations. We have to have them feel safe and have environments that are calm and and suitable for learning. So if we don't make the time or use the time that we have to address those things, we're kind of spinning our wheels. So that all being said, um, if there's such a high percentage of students, it sounds like there may be opportunities to have kind of the school-wide or classroom-wide CPS in place where you're doing things as a whole group. So there may be some skills that you find that there's just so many students in in the class need to work on that that's something that you address as a class, whether it's through a class meeting or mini lessons on those exact types of, of situations where, you know, if you have a number of students that are struggling with a similar skill, it might be something that you can teach to the whole class or teach in a small group rather than working on it one-on-one. Um, that's not to say that the the unsolved problem is going to be the same for every student, but it may be that you can identify through the ALSIP those skills and do some, some group work on it. Um, I guess the other thing is just, like I said, being creative with the time that you do have. If you've got study blocks or, you know, if there isn't, if there's traditional discipline blocks happening, um, those can be repurposed. You can, as a team, pull together and platoon students so that, one person can be working with kids doing stations or centers to free up the other person to do that kind of stuff. You know, I think it's when we when we get our heads stuck in the silos, that each classroom is a silo, 
um, that we that we run up against that challenge of time most frequently. But if we can be creative and people see this as a need that the whole school, you know, I'm going to take your kids plus maybe a couple parent volunteers and do some outdoor games once a week, that'll free up a teacher. Just being creative in, in how we use the time that we have. And I have nothing to add to that. I think you uh, covered it perfectly. <laughs> Um, here's another one. This is more of a comment, but we may want to comment on the comment. This one says, thank you. A lot of aha moments reading the Lives in the Balance website. Um, the question is, do you have any data correlating increase in daycares use um, uh, to the increasing numbers of challenging students? Uh, we, our district, especially at the elementary level, has many practices in place for challenging kids. Remove them, lock them out, evacuate class, lock them in, padded room to sit, alternative room to sit, and finally tell all others to ignore the student. Officers also called, nothing gets better. Uh, well, a brief commentary here. I can't imagine how any of those things would make things better, but let's keep going. Trying. Any and all things to help. Sheets that record a score candy at day's end. If uh, score reached, brain breaks, cool down corners, uh, uh, alternative seating, in school suspension, out of school suspension. Oftentimes, after a student is removed due to behavior and in the office, principal may play chess or spot it to establish a relationship. I'm only a tutor, but I was told just be a tutor by the principal. Don't ask questions. That is pupil services job. Call them. Um, best part, pupil services is six part and full-timers split between six elementary schools. Our poverty rate, uh, adverse child experience rate is high. We need an intervention, but I don't have the PhD to prove it, nor am I brave enough. I've spoken up, gotten a meeting, and many staff agreed we aren't moving in a good direction, but nothing changed. If we don't fix our ways, our vicious cycle will continue and permeate long into the future of society. What do you think of that one? I hear a lot of frustration in that in that person's words. Um, every every strategy that was listed, I, I heard two things. They were unilateral and they were <laughs> reactionary. And there was nothing proactive and there was nothing collaborative about it. Um, if there's, you know, there's always the underground movement if, if and when the administration or the decision makers at the school level aren't willing, there, there's always those underground movements that, that do the work that needs to be done when they can do it regardless. So if they know that it's right, just one kid at a time, one conversation at a time, one unsolved problem at a time, um, you know, it doesn't take you don't need to get the principal's permission to sit down at recess or lunch and have a conversation with the student and ask them what's going on for them and come up with some kind of a compromise that takes place within your classroom. You don't need permission for that. <laughs> so my advice is just go ahead and do it. Yeah, it sounds like what I would call the smorgasbord approach um, there, there's no, aside from a lot of it being punitive and a lot of it, almost all of it being unilateral, um, 
I don't know if you find this to be the case, but um, a, a lot of buildings and actually a lot of administrators uh, try to do everything. Um, everything's a good idea. Um, uh, and so they end up having sort of a smorgasbord approach to behavior management. My experience is that uh, too many ingredients uh, too spoils the dish and that um, CPS provides a very nice sort of overarching framework. doesn't mean you can't add things to it. You could add zones of regulation to CPS if you wanted to. You could add social thinking to CPS and have it go together quite nicely. Um, but if a school doesn't have a sort of discipline mentality, then it isn't going to know which practices fit within that mentality and which practices don't. And so what I find a lot of schools do, certainly not all, but many, is they just keep adding interventions because the interventions that they've already added aren't working. And so it's just throwing what it's basically saying the dish doesn't taste good yet. Let's add another ingredient. And the dish keeps getting worse and worse. I think schools need a mentality about discipline, who they are, what they're trying to accomplish, um, what their lenses are as it relates to kids who are having difficulty meeting expectations, and whether they want to be non-punitive and non-adversarial. And that's, of course, the hoped-for direction. And then interventions either make sense or they don't. Right. What do you think? Well, I agree, but it's... As a, as a school leader, one of the things that is the biggest kind of a black hole and one of the hardest pieces of our work is developing a school culture. And when you walk into a building, whether it's in a system like ours where the leadership changes on a regular basis or not, school culture is it's so influential. And it's not just about discipline, but it... Mm. It's about those, the way things are done, and those things can be historical, they can be values-based or a bit of everything. To change that, like I'm thinking about the school that that person, that that tutor has described, it mm. sounds like culturally that reactive, punitive um, discipline is the culture, it's the way things are done. And to change that on a wholesale scale, it does take leadership. And leadership doesn't have to be formal. It doesn't have to be from the principal. It can be a lot more difficult to change the culture if the principal is not in alignment with it. But a group within the school can establish their own subculture. And that can be negative or positive. So for this tutor, if, if in a staff meeting, they've heard other people speak in a way that, that reinforces their own values about kids and, and their beliefs that, that these things aren't going to work, they're not working, but that there is an alternative in CPS. Um, you know, they can, they can encourage and support each other in creating a subculture that over here, this is the way we do things. You know, I think you said a key word there, and the key word is values, which I think cuts across culture and discipline. How many schools give thought to values 
namely, um, what are we here for? And what do we believe about kids, how they should be treated, and how we should help them if they are having difficulty meeting expectations? Um, I know that schools focus on culture, schools focus on discipline, schools focus on their mission. Do schools focus on their values? Well, I think those things have to be, you have to shed light on them before you can do really good work in any of those other areas. Because if if people don't share those beliefs, or if you don't talk about them, then you end up making assumptions. I mean, just deciding when kids have a hard time, do we believe that it's because they can't or because they won't? That belief underpins so much academically, like behaviorally, relationship-wise. It, it, it affects everything. So that's such a critical value. And, and you can find that out by, by talking to people, but you've got to give people the opportunity to really talk about those things, whether it's at staff meetings or at professional development sessions, whether it's just informally you know, over lunch. But you have to know what you believe, and 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 this is hard to say. But sometimes, if you're in a school where the majority of people believe that kids are just they just don't want to follow rules, that they just you know people take behavior personally, they see kids as manipulative. If you've got one or two people in that school who don't share those values, it can be overwhelming to to be kind of the lone, to sit there and, and listen to people talk about kids in a way that you don't believe. And sometimes the best thing to do is those people need to find another school to work in because it can just suffocate you if you don't believe that. And, and for one for one person to try and change the values of everybody else, that's a huge task on top of everything else that you're trying to do in a day. But I've I've been on the other side of it where you know, I've been working with people and the school's values have been that we believe that kids do well if they can. And when people don't fit with that, then the same message, well, maybe this isn't the school for you because we're not going to support those practices that are punitive, that are separation-based, that are unilateral. We're not going to support those. So if, you, if you're looking for a place that will support you in suspending kids, you've got to find someplace else. Well, and <laughs> here's the interesting thing. I mean, you're being kinder than I would be. If um, <laughs> I'm not sure if I want to ship a bad apple to another store. Um, my question would be, is education, is working with kids the best spot for you? Not just the school. I've, I've seen schools ship one bad apple to another, and then um, so they got their culture right, but they contributed to culture in another building, and it, it, all they did was uh, shift from this class of kids who were not being treated the way we hoped they would to another class of kids who are being treated in a way that we wouldn't hope they would be. Um, uh, so I guess I might change the wording a little bit, but you're kinder than I am. I get what you're saying. <laughs> Shall we move on to another email? Let me just make sure we've got no callers here. We don't. Um, I'm reading Lost at School and love it. 
I'm wondering if you have a magic age where you would start incorporating Plan B. I have a five-year-old in my class at Head Start who has so many sad family issues who is beginning to hit and push frequently. Would you have a resource specifically designed for preschoolers? And I think I'll take that one first. The answer is no. CPS actually doesn't look different with preschoolers than it does with kids of other ages. Um, uh, I've had 17-year-olds who didn't weren't as able to participate in Plan B as some of the three-year-olds that I've worked with, even two-year-olds that I've worked with. Many people have trouble believing that a two- or three-year-old can participate in Plan B, but they can. Um, I'm always saying don't, don't sell those two- or three-year-olds short. Don't sell those preschoolers short. Um, so there is no particular um, adjustment that we make to the model for kids five and younger. It kind of looks the same. It's the same three steps. How you talk to a three-year-old might look different than how you talk to a 17-year-old. And just be careful on the wording because hitting and pushing, those are behaviors, and you want to identify the unsolved problems that are causing those behaviors. So you just want to be careful to read the section in Lost at School on how to word unsolved problems because that's going to be very important too. Carol, anything to uh, add to that? Yeah, the other thing that I found with young kids is that sometimes you have to break the steps up. So you might not be able to go through the entire process in one sit-down, depending on their attention span and the complexity of the issue. Here's another email. My student's definition of doing well is being on the classroom computer all the time. He'll reluctantly get off for recess or physical therapy. I've tried empathy and drilling. Other students need time on the computer too, and I'd like him to join the group for calendar time and do some paper and pencil work too. Uh, he has autism and is not verbal beyond a few words such as no and want. He is six. How can I collaboratively solve this problem? You want first crack at that or you want me to? Well... I'll go first. <laughs> there you go. When I have the floor to myself, Ross, it's really hard to just, you know, not just uh, Hey, man, the floor. I'm loving it. So being off the computer is not uh, – it's, it's way too big of an unsolved problem, like being on the computer. So throughout the day, there are lots of expectations. And the teacher mentioned a couple of them, coming to calendar – doing some paper and pencil task, but we don't yeah. know what it is. Every single one of those expectations throughout the day where the child is on the computer rather than going to that, doing that expectation is a separate unsolved problem. So it may sound crazy, but um, I think that to start, the teacher would need to identify, through just run through your day, what are all those individual expectations that you would have that the student is not meeting. Obviously, he's meeting the expectation of going out for recess. That's great. That's a great place to start. Um, but not those other things. So going, picking one expectation that you would like to work on to have that student meet it, and then taking it from there, just one at a time. Just being off the computer is way too big. And the thing I would add is the, the big 
um, big issue here, as it is with anything related to Plan B, is can the kid participate in Plan B through our preferred modality, which is words? Right. I get that we've tried empathy, and I get that we've tried drilling. I'm just wondering, given that the student is not verbal beyond a few words such as no and want, whether drilling is going to be productive with a kid who is that limited in terms of verbal expression. And so I'm not sure what drilling looked like with a student who has such limited verbal skills, but often we rely on pictures um, and if, uh, to, to try to communicate about concerns. Um, often we rely on hand signals with students who uh, are lacking the expressed word, especially if the student is better able to understand the spoken word, but not being able to put things into words themselves. So there's a lot about this student that I think that uh, I would need some clarification on um, to know how we're going to engage the student in solving the problems that affect um, his life, whether it's going to be in words or whether it's going to have to be some other way. Now, we do the three steps of Plan B with kids who are nonverbal all the time. It's just that um, how verbal this kid is and whether the kid can participate in Plan B through use of words is going to the big, be the big issue for me on that one. Um, mm -hmm. But I think you're absolutely right. We have heard about some expectations that he's having difficulty meeting. I suspect that the list is significantly longer than that, so we're going to want to prioritize, and we're going to want to see if we can start gathering information from this kid, whatever that looks like. I'm just not positive it's going to be through the spoken word, but our um, education colleague, our teacher who wrote this, would know better than us Lots of information on the website and in Lost at School and in Lost and Found about how to do Plan B with kids who are very limited in the verbal language realm or uh, very limited at verbalizing in words what's going on with them at all. So there you go. Right. We have one more. Shall we take it? You bet. Here we go. Uh, this one says, I am an intervention specialist. I teach at an alternative school for students who are emotionally and behaviorally challenged. Over spring break, I read The Explosive Child. I was hoping to gain insight on how to handle many of the students I work with daily. I absolutely loved the book and found it very enlightening. I wish everybody at the school would be required to read it. In fact, I think it should be a prerequisite to applying for a job in this field. My approach and quite honestly our school approach to these behaviorally challenged kids are very similar to the Plan B approach, although not all teachers or teams agree and often think that Plan A is the solution. I disagree. Our program is unique and I firmly believe in our techniques and philosophy if done correctly. I felt very validated while reading The Explosive Child because I do think my approach is similar, although I learned a lot, and there is much, too much of an emphasis on rewards and punishments rather than actually focusing on the situations or problems in the classrooms that frustrate students and working together in order to come up with plans to work through them proactively. 
I believe our emphasis should not be on rewards or punishments, but reflection on unsolved problems and ways we can help students learn the skills needed to be successful in frustrating situations. So now my question, which requires some background. Our program has forever had this reward program on Friday afternoons. This is typically a school-wide activity that involves something fun for students, pizza party, bowling, bingo, field trips, and students are required to work really hard all week to earn they must um, complete work assignments, follow directions. Uh, students are on level systems to help track them, as you can imagine, especially with this population of students, when students do not earn this privilege, as we often call it. There are major, major meltdowns. Um, students must stay on track in order to be a part of this afternoon. We have daily rewards built in as well. Here's the question. Do you think this is harmful or helpful? In my experience, the system works for some individuals, but not others. Oftentimes, let's say a student loses enrichment on Monday, they feel hopeless and their whole week is a struggle. I was just hoping you could give me some insight on this or even some tips on how to adjust it. Want to take that one? <laughs> I'm sorry, I was kind of chuckling. Well, I think the person answered their own question, whether it's helpful or harmful, mm. because you've got <laughs> kids from Monday having meltdowns because they've already lost it without any hope of getting it back. Like, what's the question there? Um, oh, it's there. Uh, um, I think it's really important for, for teachers and kids to play and have fun together but making it contingent on an expectation that they may or may not be able to achieve and not that they don't want to. Like, here's, here's so maybe, maybe this teacher can ask colleagues this. Like, is there any doubt on Monday that kids want that reward? Is it that, that they don't want it enough? Because if we can tell on Monday that they want it, this should be a no-brainer that they just do what they're supposed to do to get it on Friday. If they're not getting it because they're losing their reward, isn't that an indicator to us that it's not about want or motivation, that it's about I can't? Like who wouldn't want that bowling or pizza party? I think that's self. I think it's self-enlightening if you look at it that way. Like there's no doubt that it's not motivation-based. So, I mean, I don't in terms of what to do to make the situation better, the ones that it's working for are great. The ones that it's not working for, you've got to really take a critical look at what are the expectations. I mean, it all comes back still to the ALSEP. What are the expectations that we're holding for this child that they're not meeting? What are their unsolved problems? And I think it's cruel to offer a carrot knowing that people aren't going to be able to achieve it the other little thought that I had was, what if we held teachers to those same things? What if I said to my staff, okay, guys, mm -hmm. every Friday you're going to get out early and I'm going to give you a $50 bonus, but here's the expectations. You've got to attend a meeting after school every day. You've got to read every email and reply. You've got to never say anything negative to a student. You know, if I lay down all these expectations – 
what teacher wouldn't want to get off early and have the money? But some are going to say, but I have kids. I have to go early. But my computer broke. I couldn't read the email. But I had a really bad day. My dog died, and so I said something negative. I mean, there's always going to be reasons that people don't meet our expectations. And it's not about wanting it. But I just, I just, it makes me scratch my head to hear teachers holding students to, to these expectations with all these contingencies and rewards. And if we put that same strictures on teachers, they would be so incensed. Anyway, that's my little soapbox again. Well, and I agree with everything you just said. Um, here's the only part that I w I'm, would revise slightly for myself, and that is the part about if it's working, great. Because I've found that there is a slippery slope. If a kid is able to meet our expectations, what do we need a reward for? That's what do we want to have the kid doing, meeting our expectations for something intrinsic when the kid is already meeting our expectations? Probably mm -hmm. for reasons that are intrinsic. Why are we putting so much effort into taking intrinsic and switching it over to extrinsic? I just don't get it and because then what you train kids to do is shift away from their own intrinsic motivation for doing anything and you're shifting them over to doing something well or doing it right or meeting the expectation because there's a goodie. And I get it. People get paid in life when they do their jobs well, but there are many ways to get paid. And the best thing to get paid for is something that you are intrinsically motivated to do well. To do it. <laughs> the other yeah. piece here is that um, even if we believe that it's working for the kids who would be doing well anyways, and I think that's the key, when people tell me, that some sort of incentive program is working. I find that it's working for the kids who would be doing well without the program. Right. And so in most classrooms, what we have is the kids who would be doing well anyways are getting a reward, and the kids who are doing poorly are um, not getting the reward. So on top mm -hmm. of the fact that they are having difficulty meeting an expectation and the reward is not bringing them any closer to meeting it reliably. Yep. We also have now a sort of a dichotomy in our classroom. There are those who get rewards and there are those who don't. Yep. Um, I think doing well is rewarding all by itself and it just pains me to see how much we shift kids from their internal compass on how they're doing to our external compass on how they're doing. It is so unnecessary, and I think it's actually extremely counterproductive. Sounds like you have some thoughts on that, too. <laughs> I do. I struggle. I mean, in, in, in my school, I sometimes have this conversation when, uh, you know, a student is struggling and teachers talk about, uh, well, then I'm just not going to bring them on a field trip or, you know, I'm going to exclude them from something. And I, and I think, to what extent? I mean, maybe that's making it easier for you 
that you're not going to have that student along, but it's not teaching the student anything. It's not going to change their behavior. And if our, if our field trips and special activities are ostensibly part of their education, how can we deny them that? So we have, I do have that conversation where people use things as a reward that shouldn't be a reward or a privilege. And, yeah, I, I, do, I do struggle with that. We really don't um, do awards and rewards in our school for that reason, is that we want it to be, we want students to feel good about doing well because they do well. And for each child to feel success, it's not always the same bar for everyone. You know, one student might feel successful with me just dropping into their class and saying, you know, hey, I noticed that you were at the carpet and I know that was really hard for you last week. I'm really proud of you. Versus, you know, getting a sticker. It means more, I think, to, to have that genuine feedback and sense of accomplishment than a thing. We seem to be on the same page about that. I believe so. Um, well, sometimes we don't agree completely, but <laughs> us and Alfie <laughs> Cohn, right? You, me, and Alfie Cohn, yeah. There you go. As and I think uh, Susan McQuaig and Nina D. Aaron, you know, Tom, we're never quite sure, but um, <laughs> that's okay. He, he, he's um, the devil's all. advocate. He argues with himself. That's right. He enjoys that. Um, that's yeah. all the emails that we have today, but we actually made our way through quite a few of them. We do not have calls, so um, shall we call it a day for today? Sure, why not? Let's do it, now, do and thanks for one, joining in on the program as always. Thank you. Do we have just one more for this school year? We have one more for this school year. It's, on, it's in May, uh, the first Monday in May, um, and then um, we'll be back again in September. We shall return. All right. Well, it is thank been you a as always. And hopefully, have the gang together next time. Take care. Bye.